in a world that thrives on competition. Why do you want your son to play chess? Oh, I don't. He does. He taught himself. In a game where winning means the world. Tell me, is the next Bobby Fischer somewhere in this room? <laughs> a challenge has begun. Your son creates like Fisher. He sees like him inside. You're playing not to lose, Josh. You've got to risk losing. You've got to risk everything. I was wondering if you could keep him from playing there so much. No. We would kill him not to play in the park. He loves it. Just makes my job harder. Then your job's harder. Oh, good! Yeah, that's it. My son has a gift. He is better at this than I have ever been at anything in my life. You have to have contempt for your opponents. Because if you don't think it's a part of winning, you're wrong. Trick or treat. You have to hate them. But I don't. They hate you. They hate you, Josh. Get out of my house. To put a child in a position to care about winning and not to prepare him is wrong. The better I play, the better I have to play. That's just the way it works. Maybe it's better not to be the best. Josh is in trouble. Don't move until you see him. He's not afraid of losing. He's afraid of losing your love. Sorry, Daddy. I can't see it. He knows you think he's weak, but he's not weak. He's decent. And if you or anyone else tries to beat that out of him, I swear to God, I'll take him away. Joe Montaigne, Lawrence Fishburne, Joan Allen, Max Pomerantz, and Ben Kingsley. Searching for Bobby Fischer. You're a much stronger player than I was at your age. Hey, everybody, welcome to another glorious episode of Nerd with Dre and Jeff. Let's talk uh, about this season of Nerd. You're starting season five. It is your birthday show. This is your birthday show. This is very exciting. As of recording, you're about to have a birthday. As you are listening, Dre just had a birthday. And we are starting season five. And the theme of season five, I may have mentioned it on other shows, is parental neglect. Yes, thank you. Good, good name. So, sorry, Jeff. You you know me. I I like giving way too much information on the creative process of how these shows come about. At this point, the nerd format is we we do three shows on a subject. We come up with a theme. You and I kind of bandy about back and forth, both on how much stuff fits the theme and if we want to do it. Now we've hit the point where like, well, this this was a pigeonholed season because I want to do searching for Bobby Fisher, which is fascinating to me. Because you are not, and I hate the phrase, but you're not a content creator as a job, as a profession. You have a real people job. From my standpoint, when you were like, I want to do searching for Bobby Fisher, my immediate is like, oh, great. You want nobody to listen to the show. That's fantastic. Here's an interesting thing about the world of content creation is like everything has an audience and there are weird niche subjects that have bigger than you think. And here is the awesome news, Jeff, is like, you do Batman. You are probably one of the top three Batman podcast producers out there. Like that, Kevin Smith. But don't get me in a fight with Kevin Smith. I co-produce a podcast on Kevin Smith on the same network that you do Tom and Jeff Watch Batman, a top three Batman listening show. What synergy. But yeah, there we go. But what I was going to say is sometimes there is you want to get the everybody wants eyeballs, but there are so many people doing that. Other times there is a smaller topic but nobody's making the great content. And I yes. think, Jeff, from a content creation standpoint, as both a good chess overview, not being the classical nerd doing it, and on this, I think you are, you're, you're, you're mining gold, Jeff. I think there's something here. Well, you didn't 
really let me finish my thing, which yeah. is the general rule is like go for something that has a specific focus on a general topic, right? Be like, you know, you want to get a massive hit podcast, be like, let's talk about the lightsabers of Star Wars or something like that. It's like take a big, broad, general thing that a, a million scrillion people like, and then you do something hyper focused in that. That's a that's a thing I do with Tom and Jeff watch Batman, right? So um, and thinking about that, my my initial reaction was just like, this better be your goddamn birthday show because the. <laughs> Uh, a, a a nearly 30 year old movie about a chess prodigy okay and then the more i thought about it the more i was like man this is beautifully niche in in a way that i think could pull a lot of people in because we're not just going to be talking about searching for bobby fisher uh we're also going to be talking about chess as a concept and and bobby fisher as a fascinating and polarizing person yeah so, like, Jeff, this is the interesting part. I'm going to argue you incepted this show. So you did an episode of Behind the Bastards on... With Ceausescu? Is it, or the Nicholas II? Uh, it was a four-parter on A Horrible Dictator. I think it was the... <laughs> oh, <okay>. just that? <laughs> but anyway, you did a four-parter on that, and it was great. But here's the thing. That is a history podcast for any for all the jokes for years about Jeff not doing a history podcast. You routinely show up on a show on shows and just, like, pinch hit and are like, I would be the best goddamn history podcaster out there and you prove it. So it's like, you know, there are people that are like, I really don't want to do it because, you know, I just wouldn't enjoy it. And you're like, oh yeah, they're making excuses. You, Jeff, when you're like, I don't want to do a history podcast and you show up on history podcast. It's like, yeah, no, Je Jeff doesn't want to do this. He could do this easily. Oh yeah. Like, I don't know. I don't want to sound cocky, but I'd be, I'd make a good one. I just don't want to. Uh, I don't want to do that work. Uh, as long as it's, it's always the flavor. You always, you bring history flavor, but it is never the primary focus. This will be a case in point in this episode, but you were doing it behind the bastards four parter, which, you know, those, those take a little more energy. You know, they're not like, Batman, those are, right? those are marathons. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's like, I'm not going to listen. I'm not going to blast through eight hours of content at once. So like, listen to one, wait, wait till I get in the mood. In the midst of that, Mia Wong showed up as a guest about shocker. Bobby Fisher is a horrible bastard. Uh, an amazing episode, and we're going to talk more, but that happened in the middle. So basically, I had the association of Jeff May and Bobby Fisher in mind. The reason for this show, when you're like, you're you're damn right, it's your birthday show. This is just a movie, you know, that for, before the streaming eras, those of us that grew up on like VHS, it's like you'd get a movie you just watch over and over and over again. This was one of those movies for me that I have just loved for years. And that's one of the the like cruxes of the nerd show. Is this your like, is this a comfort movie for you? A hundred percent. Yeah. My, you know what my big comfort movie is, if you want to know how much of a stereotype I am? Goonies. You love Goonies. We know that, right? <laughs> Every time I'm sad, I instinctively go and turn on Goodwill Hunting. That's a good. Oh, oh, so so you like the like Boston show about the like secret genius. Yeah, it's, that's a shocker, Jeff. I just really need that release of being told it's not my fault so I can cry, you know? But no, it, it is like Goodwill Hunting is legit like. And it's almost like clockwork where if I'm really down and the next thing I know, I'm 20 minutes into Goodwill hunting and I'm like, yep, there it is. It, like I snap out of it and realize what I did. Um, but so you were you're right, like about about, you know, this movie. It's great. I know you, you're going to talk about how there are movieisms about this, but there's a movieism about this that is so funny to me. And I laughed out loud. And that really is like the villain conceptually, the villain being like a six-year-old. 
think he's seven or eight. Like an evil, villainous seven-year-old is so funny to me. I laughed so hard when they introduced this kid. So I'll give a 10,000-foot a, a view, and then I think we'll either do a quick synopsis, which we try all the time and never get, or a long synopsis regardless. But the 10,000-foot view is this, is this is a movie based on a book by Fred Waitzkin, and it's about Josh Waitzkin, who was a child chess prodigy. And the book and movie, uh, movie less so, of course, focus heavily on this theme of like what it's like to be a child prodigy, what the interaction is with an adult, what are the trade-offs of obsession, should you be dealing with obsession with children? Like, you know, the book is hyper introspective about this. But of course, as you're pointing out a movieism, this got gets grafted onto a sports movie. And the sports movie, you know, the, the classic formula is like either underdog of some sort, starts finding success, gets hit down once, triumphs in the end. Usually, you know, the two, the two off-ramps are either like wins it all or the rocky off-ramp of like has a moral pyrrhic victory at the very end. That's like the class. And so this does have this. This is Josh Waitzkin, and it's it's his ascendancy into being the top um, junior player in the United States, a brief setback, and then him finally winning the championship at the end. And it, it is a sports movie, but it's based on a real life thing, which is what makes this very fascinating. Yeah, which is also a very dangerous thing to do. Like we need like talking about like the concept of based on a true story is such a dangerous thing because first and foremost, if you if every if you tell a a true story cinematically, one hundred percent true, it's not going to be a good movie because life doesn't have three or five acts. Like it just doesn't. Life doesn't have that. Life moves and it has ups and downs in random places. You need to tell an interesting story, right? If you go too far overboard, you get Braveheart, right? You get a guy's name and then you make everything else up. And it's a cool movie, but anybody who's ever read a book is going to be like, nah, it's not at all what happened, right? So you get an Oscar winning, fascinating lie, which, you know, movies, you know, stories in general can be that, but, you know, saying the true story thing. Or you get the opposite, where if you go too true, then you get a boring mess because life can be a boring mess. Like one one aspect of that that is very true. So, like this movie is a sports movie and a bio biopic. What what do you go for? You go for biopic or biopic? I say uh, biopic, but all right, probably wrong. It doesn't doesn't matter. We're not we're not going to get into bubble lead versus bubble lead. By the way, this was the place to talk about that on the Behind the Bastards episode on Bobby Fischer. Amazing listen. If, if this episode strikes your fancy as a chess fan, that is a great supplemental. And then if you're looking that far back in the archive, Jeff is there too. So after this, go to Behind the Bastards. Yeah. Listen to us first though. Rob doesn't need the viewership we do. But with that being said, um, it's a great episode. But at the very beginning, uh, Mia just keeps saying Nydorf incorrectly. Nydorf is like one of the biggest names in chess and named one of the most famous openings yeah. and just repeatedly says Najdorf. And I apologize in advance. And it, you know, it just, to some of that, it actually speaks to the change in the world of chess because the giveaway there is that they read a lot. That's the clear answer. And chess from the time this movie was made, from the time the book this movie yeah. was made. Which, by was the way, on... this movie is officially 30 years old. It, it's it's 1993. But I was just going to say, you know, gets gets very much to like, chess is now streamed on like Twitch and stuff with millions of viewers. With Hikaru Nakamura, with Levi Rosman, with Agad Mator, who was the name you said? Anal Beads guy. 
Okay, and we're, we're that's that's definitely going to. We've talked we'll, about we'll this in that. previous episodes. The the cheating, the Hans, scandal, right? the Hans Niemann. Well, you've talked about th- that. That is overlapped to like you and Adam Todd Brown on on pops, and you don't yeah, even like this yeah, show. Yeah. So that's that's definitely awesome. So you know, chess has gotten elevated. So like modern people can watch streams where they hear these names over and over and over again. If you were a person in the eighties and nineties into chess, you were reading a lot about it. So that's uh, that's the disconnect there, and that's the interesting part because something this movie heavily focuses on is like. Is it worth the amount of effort that people put into chess? And what I was going to say, I'm like, based on a true storyism that I hate is like something that biopics love to do is really sell the underdog story. And the reality is in this story, like Josh Waitzkin grew up in New York, which is the perfect place to learn chess. His dad um, was a sports writer with a bunch of connections, to like get him into chess places. So it's like, he is not an underdog or a surprising thing, but like, that's a trope that every like sports movie based on a true story has to do is like this thrilling tale about how this underdog overcame it all. And they absolutely hate being like this thrilling tale about this person from privilege that got a bunch of help winning it all. Yeah, but they do a good job of diverting that aspect of the underdog tale to being like, well, the underdog aspect is fully emotional and they make you feel it. They really like they're they're explaining like, look, they show you the privilege of the child. They started out. They live in a nice place. Dad has a good job. You know, they're they, you know, he's got a good relationship with his father. They show him oiling up a baseball glove. The kids, the kids are pretty normal. And that really is. I think the crux of this film is, are you willing to sacrifice a child's normal upbringing and mental health? in order to achieve the greatest potential that they could. Um, It has very like, you know, Dragon Mom or or whatever energy you want to see be brought in there, which is like the health and well-being of a child versus the potential and talent. Before we get into plot, I I have to talk about the cast. I want to get the cast out of the way. I'm sorry. I I want to, I know it's a derailing aspect of it, but this is 30 years ago. I'm not even good. Okay, so your main characters, uh, the the you know you have uh, Josh obviously played by this guy Max Pomerantz. Sorry to to immediately derail your derailment, Jeff. So right, let's this go. Movie, this movie stars Max Pomerantz as Josh Waitzkin. Yeah, and there's a lot interesting here because they basically this is a, a this is so much a sports movie in the following way. Whenever you're making a sports movie, Miracle, for instance, is one of my favorites. You are you have a dilemma. Do you hire? an athlete that can portray the sport accurately enough and then try and get their acting chops up to snuff before the movie starts? Or do you hire an actor and then not worry about it? So like Miracle- You hire an actor. You do hire an actor. For a main character, you always hire the actor. Well, well, that's interesting. Miracle, as an example, the Kurt Russell Miracle on Ice highest grossing hockey movie, they hired hockey players and got them up to snuff on acting. Versus- Because uh, they were all- bit parts that that's anyway but then you also have like ray liotta and field of dreams were like a thing he regrets is like he batted either lefty or righty which wasn't the real way and you know didn't look great so you know you you that, that's always a dilemma so for this movie they got a kid not, not 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 a pro but they got a kid who was a, a decent chess player as the lead who then he just comes out of nowhere and knocks it out of the park which is amazing because in the land of like similar point of like child prodigy it's like this is a, a kid actor who came out, like held his own against some pretty good heavyweights. And then, of course, didn't stick around in the field of acting. Yeah, I mean, child acting is is fascinating because I think we lay a lot of credence to like relatively average 
performances where when you see when you look in like the annals of child acting and you look at who the standouts are, they're always the way advanced. Your Macaulay Culkins, your your Dakota Fannings, these uh, people that found ways to access emotion in very big ways. He play he does a very good job of playing sort of like alienated. But it's kind of awkward. This I I, I mean, well, he's a chess player, so that, that's 100%. Yeah, he right, plays right, the right. part perfectly. And then another thing about like Max in this is like they have interstitials to try and fill in the backstory. This is little biographical news bits about uh, Bobby Fisher and, and through there that are narrated um, by Max and then also scored by James Horner. And like those do really well. So yeah. the movie's got that, but he holds his own. And then the rest of the cast, though, just every part doesn't matter. Every single person on this roster, even if they're a bit part, is a huge name. Let's let's hear some of them. So so um, the parents we start with Joe Montaigne. Well, hello, Dan. You know, uh, Joe Montaigne and Joan Allen. Like, those are your parents in here. Then we talk about the two coaches. You have the official coach, Ben Kingsley, and then the sort of emotional coach of Lawrence Fishburne. As we continue through there and you start looking at bit parts, you get like William H. Macy as a nervous father. You get David Pamer. The, the teacher is Laura Linney. The, uh, you know, one of the tournament directors is Dan Hedaya. Like Anthony Heald is the parent that's getting into an argument. The guy from the guy that ran the, the, um, prison in, um, silence of the lambs. It's just playing these little bit parts. Like even people like one of the reporters is Tom McGowan who ended up becoming like, he was the, the camp counselor from heavyweights and having like a very good acting career. Um, it's just, it's fascinating. Oh, Tony Shaloub is a, a random schlub chess player whose thing is getting his ass beat by this kid. Like, there are so many amazing, successful actors that had these relatively small roles in this art house style biopic. It's the cast alone is insane. That is one like the weird thing. And I think that's why this holds together because it's, it is based on a true story. It is really well done. The director is really good. I forget. I think he goes on to win an Oscar. Of course, it's scored by James Horner. Uh, you know, it's based off a book that is written, you know, he, Fred Waitzkin in real life was a sports writer. So, you know, like everything about this is well constructed. I think, I think it's very similar to Gremlins. So something you said about Gremlins too, is just like no one quite knew what the movie was supposed to be. Well, this had the same issue, right? Like the trailer for this movie does in a world, Jeff, it's, it's so nineties and this movie definitely script wise and how it's sold is sold as a sports, a, a classic sports movie with, you know, triumph at the end when like the topic and what is covered is super serious and is about, you know, like I would argue like addiction trade-off and you know, what, what do we do with kids? This isn't a particularly subtle movie. Like none of the lessons are subtle and, you know, it's, it is, it's a very, it's a constant battle of the head versus the heart straight through, through various different sort of lenses. I mean, we see it through the coaching, the head versus the heart, you know, do you use your instincts or or do you take risks because life is risks or do you play intellectually based on the sort of probability and statistics and geometry and and not geometry excuse me um geography of the board and everything like that there you know you see like 
how do we raise this kid? You know, do we raise them to achieve that maximum potential because maximum potential means, which by the way, spoiler alert, this dude quit chess. He just yeah. stopped in the, in his twenties. He just, so like this gets weird, right? He was so good that he got noticed as a kid mm-hmm. that then he's everywhere. He is like the, after this movie, like this movie only made 7 million worldwide, but to the point, Jeff, it was huge in chess circles. So he was a huge name in chess. I actually saw both Josh Waitzkin and Bruce Pandolfini at the 2001 Scholastic Open. Like I, I went to like, I, you know, shocker, right? If this is one of my favorite childhood kid yeah, movies, right. I went, I went and saw them. The line Josh Waitzkin, the real world counterpart has used a lot is he's like, you know, I was in love with this game and I like lost the love of it. And it's like, yeah, when it goes from being something you love that you're doing as a hobby to, uh-oh, this is like my job and I have to do this for a living. And at the same time, you have a bunch of people peering inward, calling you the next Bobby Fisher, which is something you didn't like. But of course, that's a theme. That wasn't even a major theme in the book, because, but because the book is looking at like the state of chess in the United States and in Russia and what it means to raise a chess kid and what Bobby Fisher did. So the, the term searching for Bobby Fisher is like, I'm looking at chess and looking like what's going on. But in the movie, because of that title, they keep saying he's the next Fisher. He's a young Fisher. You think like Fisher. That's a big thing. At one point, Ben Kingsley is like, you're, you're going to be the next Fisher. And so like that kind of pressure when you're 18 years old wasn't worth it. And Jeff, do you know what he did instead? He quit playing chess. Do you know what uh, Josh Waitzkin went on to do instead? Uh, I might. Okay. What do we got, Jeff? Do you want to fill it in? I know that he studied martial arts. And? Uh, well, I'm done. I'm done with that. He, be- he became a world champion at, at push hands. Like he's, he became like one of the top in the U.S., like he basically was like, I'm gonna go study. It's push hands where like you stand close to each other yes. in a wrestling ring and you're like pushing each other around. Yeah, he became a world champion of that instead. I mean, I, I guess that just goes to show you that he he's somebody that knows how to read people. And like, well, he he, he, he said a lot about that about because ch- chess is very. It's funny, Jeff. Like you're a boxer, and I, I refer like to chess. boxing as chess when I'm training people. It's so funny because like I would say this, Jeff, an interesting comparable in, in chess. If you ever notice a position, like because you're, you're, I know right after this you're gonna go out and play a bunch. If you've got the king in the back and like they're stuck in the corner and exposed, that's like the worst place to be. And I, ironically, I think that lines up 100%. Like if you notice a boxer in the corner and their arms are down, you're like, oh, like you don't need to know boxing. It's so, like, oh, they are screwed. I'm going to tell you the very interesting thing because I, tr- I train people I, and I, I, I basically I'm like player coach kind of a training thing. And I'll have people come in and I'll be like, all right, like I'm going to beat you if we're in the middle of the ring. I'm bigger than you, I'm stronger than you, and I have more experience. How do you take that apart? How do you how do you beat somebody that has those? Well, you don't want to go toe-to-toe with them because you're going to lose every time. You need to remove my advantages. How do you remove my height advantage? How do you remove my power advantage? And basically, I convince them to learn how to get me to back up into the ropes and eventually into the corner. I was like, you need to get me there to undo my advantages. And once you do there, then you can chop down the tree. But I always tell people, I'm like, look, boxing is, there's a reason they call it the sweet science. It's a very scientific form of combat sport. It's, it's, you know, I think MMA, not to take anything away from mixed martial arts, because if I fought an MMA person that had my experience, but in MMA, they would beat me in a fight. They just, they just would. But I find boxing to be a lot more like chess in that it's about positioning. It's about fainting. It's you're taking hits, but it's not just like automatically like a, a choke is going to take somebody out or something like it's definitely 
it's definitely close to chess and which is why they have chess boxing which is like ridiculous man, but lost my calling well but also um well also in that like other thing that's important in both is clock management right like yeah you had three one minutes. of the interesting things is like old school chess at the time of even this movie being released the, one of the biggest things in chess that people probably all know that'll hit with your audience right is deep gary kasparov the greatest, like arguably the greatest chess player, at least top two of all time, lost to a computer in the mid nineties. And since then, at this point, my phone, yes, could be world champion with Which nothing. Rude, right? Yeah, it's a, and 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 at this point now they have like computer world champions, and, and we'll get to some of chess cheating maybe in a bit when we're talking like wrestling and stuff. But so you know, with with like that, old chess used to be very long. And the world changed a lot since this movie was made. And modern chess, like even the 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 current number one and arguably all time greatest player Magnus Carlsen, is like, look, man, if I'm gonna he he, he abdicated his world championship, and he's like, look, man, if I'm gonna fight for the world championship, I'm not playing five hour games. No, he's like, it's too long. And arguably, that's helping the sport because the sport has to get shorter. It's like the pitch clock. Yeah, and then but and then but then that also and then the same point. That also means clock management for top players is becoming huge because if you're playing a 15 minute game against Magnus Carlsen, like, yeah, it's like it's like you either got to get the knockdown or he's going to win at the end of the thing. And so there are important things there. Yeah. And I bet I bet traditionalists really have a problem with that in the same way that baseball traditionalists are very against the pitch clock. Oh, my God. Baseball versus like that exact thing where you have like old people are like this is like for years and years and years. Old school chess people are like, Blitz is bad. That even shows up in this movie. Hey, your kid's playing Blitz. It's ruining the game. He's, he's ruining his game. He's never going to be a great classical chess player if he keeps playing in the park with these guys. Nowadays, the top players, in terms of money making, not necessarily best in the world, although Hikaru Nakamura is both, are the people that can play fast games online in front of Twitch to big audiences. So it is very funny where you've got the traditionalists, let's keep the game pure, and you've got people that are like, if we want the game to make money, it has to be watchable. Yeah. All right, Jeff. One other IMDb rabbit hole, which is funny, Jeff, and starts our our, our seasons of nerd are starting to implode on each other. We got a multiverse of nerd, Jeff, because James Horner, who showed up as the composer in Fievel Goes West in an American Tale, is the composer here. And this 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 score slaps. It's one of my favorites. I absolutely adore it. Now, what's hilarious? This score for the chess movie slaps. It does, Jeff. It is so awesome. Josh and Vinny is one of my favorites. Uh, it's used in the trailer as well. So. But ironically, one of the things James Horner, another RIP person, uh, passed in a plane crash a few years ago. Oscar winner did Titanic is probably the biggest thing he's known for. But one thing he's accused the of- The biggest thing anybody that's involved with that movie is known for. Yeah. So anyway, um, well, what, James Cameron, Avatar? Avatar is bigger. Sure. Yeah. Sure. It made more don't, money. Don't, 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 don't be that guy, Jeff. Avatar Ava made more money, but I don't think, I don't think Avatar has the- emotional staying power of pop culture the way that titanic did yeah my heart will go on which james horner wrote and then of course i'm king of the world that kind of stuff will will live on forever but anyway so one thing that he is accused of probably rightfully so on his wikipedia page is how much he uses other people's stuff and reuses his own stuff so interesting point we noted in five goes west that he used rodeo which is like the the where's the beef song he used some of that in Five Goes West. Turns out he reused that later in another movie. So like what's funny about James Horner is he will like try something out in a kid's movie. It'll work well and then he'll use it in an adult movie. So case in point, he also had an Oscar nomination for A Beautiful Mind about another tortured 
anti-Semitic genius. He's really going for it, huh? And if you listen to A Beautiful Mind, you're like, this this sounds a lot like searching for Bobby Fischer. So he's like, he's like, oh yeah, that thing I had, because Bobby Fischer, we'll get into it, hugely anti-Semitic and problematic. John Nash, the uh, the uh, person that Russell Crowe plays in A Beautiful Mind. Similar, we don't have time for that, although maybe Jeff Future uh, Behind also, the Bastards episode. Also anti-Semitic, Fievel. Fievel? Oh, no. Against no, he's himself. Jewish. Inch, inch, well, so is Bobby Fischer. So there we go. Wow. I can't believe you tied that all together, Jeff. But that. I did want to get the James Horner note out there that like, He's in this. It's amazing. And then he also reuses this for a beautiful mind later, which is arguably bigger. So that's James Horner M.O. He tries something out in a small kid movie that bombs, and then he reuses it later on an adult movie that does really well and is critically acclaimed. This is not a kid movie, by the way. It's, but I mean, that's, that's again, to the Gremlins 2 point, that's what makes it hard is because it's kids and chess and a sports movie, the way it was marketed and presented and shown was like, kids should watch this. But you're right. It is not. And like I said, that's the thing is when Sometimes when you can't push a movie into a specific box, that's where it flails about because no one knows what it is. You're looking at the trailer. Now, we, in hindsight, know it's a good movie, right? But you look at that trailer and you just have to go, aside from chess fans, I need to know who this is for. And you're yeah. not given that information. And then sometimes they, sometimes you don't know what to do with it and something flounders. Or then sometimes you misrepresent something. And I think a good example of that was, I think, I forget what year it was, maybe like 2007 or 2008, when Observe and Report and Funny People both came out being marketed as like goofy comedies starring Seth Rogen for some reason. And you saw them and you're like, this is so dark. This is not at all what this was marketed as. And I'm upset, even though the movie is good, because I did not want to see this movie. Jeff, now, for people that don't remember video stores and those of us that had to do that, let me tell you, Six Degrees of Separation starring Will Smith, whoever at Blockbuster put that in comedy, you are well, a monster and a horrible person, and I hate you. Because you're a kid, yeah. you see the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. That person just knew of happily, Will Smith. Smiling happily on the cover. Um, it's not, was it Six Degrees of Separation? Not Six, what is it? What's the movie? But six it was, Degrees of Separation, yeah. That's the one where he... We're yes. Are we going to give spoilers no on spoiler six that? No, don't spoil that movie. You guys should see okay. that. Movie. If it's it's an amazing drama, so that's the giveaway. If you go into that expecting Will Smith to be a funny, like con con artisty guy like he is in Fresh Prince, you are in for a rude awakening. So to the same point, this is not a kids movie or even a sports movie, I would argue, but that's how it was marketed and made. Do we want to get into it, Jeff? I'll see how fast I can go forward. I am going to spend a lot of time on the first scene though because it's an interesting one. And I also think it's an amazing scene for so many reasons. It highlights, okay, so this first scene really does highlight sort of the barriers of chess and what two, what the two different worlds of chess and that the chessboard is a great equalizer. All right, so but first movie is Josh Waitzkin is the seven-year-old kid at his birthday party. They're playing in the park because they live in New York. Um, they're playing hide and seek from his dad. So he runs away from his dad and he winds up in Washington Square, which is a famous place where people play chess. And he winds up there and people are playing chess and he just stops and is enthralled. And then we get a great thing where it starts raining. So the chess players won't stop playing even though it's raining and he won't stop watching because it's raining. It's important to say though, because I think you need to delineate the difference between playing chess and playing blitz chess. Because when I think of people playing chess, it's a very it's like two people in like a dark room with a light on them quiet 
slowly contemplating their next move. And that's not what this is. And yeah, but yeah, Blitz Chess is is trash talking. Lawrence Fishburne is in it, do an amazing job trash talking. They're sitting, you know, they're sitting across. They're moving hyper fast. Like I said, they're they're smoking. They're chain smoking. Amazing stuff. So he 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 is just enthralled. He stops like hustler chess. Yeah, and it is. I mean, yeah, yeah. Chess chess hustling is a major thing. That is a major component in the book, and even shows up a little in the movie. So anyway, Josh is watching it, and he looks down, and someone has jo- dropped a good, not not a cheap plastic one, but like a good rook. Or a good knight, a chess piece. And he picks it up and he's just like staring at it in love. And Lawrence Fishburne, in a way that only Lawrence Fishburne could do, because normally this would be creepy as hell, but somehow he's not. Lawrence Fishburne is amazing in this movie and somehow not creepy. If you need an affable homeless guy, apparently that's Lawrence Fishburne. He was amazing. He was amazing. They do that with him. He's been that character several times. I mean, that's his character in John Wick. He's, yeah. So he's, he's amazing. So he shows up. And he stands in front of Josh Waitzkin and he is holding a baseball and no words are spoken. And this came out before the matrix. Cause this is what's so fascinating. You got Lawrence Fishburne with two hands with a choice to a young prodigy. And that's like, this was made before the matrix, which is ridiculous. So, cause for those that don't know, Lawrence Fishburne memefied at this point, giving the two options to Keanu Reeves. But so he's holding the baseball, the normal childhood life. He's pointing at the night that Josh Waitzkin is holding and saying, I'll trade you basically. And Josh Waitzkin says, well, we 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 don't know what he says, but then the we you cut can to see the next his scene. Rip holding on to the you can see yeah. him holding like really tight to the night. Yeah. So as you pointed, this movie is not subtle in the slightest. We are given the very clear there is something weird and exotic and dangerous about this game, but Josh is drawn to it, and he is and he's got a choice between like the normal kid thing and maybe this game. And the next scene, he comes home. His dad, Joe Montana, who does fantastic in this movie. Well, hello there. He's he's. Well, what's, I can't what's not do a fat Tony voice whenever. Well, what, what, what's what's great about him? Sorry to take that brief offering because he he's an odd take because basically in the book Fred and Josh Waitzkin are just like kind of soft spoken Jewish people, which is important because like I said, anti Semitism and like Gary Kasparov representing like someone Jewish winning a chess champion is a big theme. So I'm not going to take the that away most from the book. Italian looking dude. But so that that that's what they've got in the book and the character. But I think what's important is. The book has a lot of like implicit rage and emotions that the dad has to feel. And as you pointed, if you make a biopic 100% like the book, it's boring. So they need someone who's able to quickly shift between like lovable and affable to like angry to upset really quickly. And Joe Montaigne, fantastic at it. So Joe Montaigne shows up and he's gotten Josh a baseball glove as his birthday gift. And he goes, Josh, I forgot to get you a ball. Josh had a chance of getting a ball. He passed on it for chess. But then Josh hops up and finds a snow globe and says, well, this do. And his dad says, yeah. And I think this scene is important because it shows a lot of the themes. And then it also shows Josh trying to juggle both worlds, have it all and being creative. So like this first scene for laying the like foundation of characterization, what we see, what we're in for masterclass. And then of course, James Horner is scoring it. So like, interestingly enough, like, I think that is just an amazing scene. I don't know if you agree or if I'm just overanalyzing. No, it was great. They did a good job of, of, of finding that balance. And I was really enjoying it. Now, what ends up happening is the next day um, after Josh has has viewed this, he asks his mom, Bonnie, to take him to play chess at the park with the men. Very sketchy. He goes and plays a chess hustler um, and, of course, gets destroyed. He's supposed to get destroyed. But the chess hustler is just like, you're better than you appear. And then Lawrence Fishburne again shows up and is like, what's your name? What's your name? Writes his name down in a newspaper and says, I'm going to tell everybody I saw you. 
What's fascinating about this, Jeff, and a running theme that I'll have as a complaint, this story is true. It did not happen that early. You don't go from watching chess to being able to play at a level that you're impressing adults the next day. Um, that happens later in his life. But a lot of that movie does this. They take real world snapshots either from the book or things that Josh Waitzkin, because he and Bruce Pandolfini did consult on the movie and graft it. And that leads to some of the complaint I was having about, you know, when you're trying to tell a an amazing story, of course, as you're noting, it'd be boring if you told it straight. And then also on the flip side, you know, it starts becoming un unbelievable a lot of times. And you don't want to leave. Oh, yeah. And then they trained in the gym, you know. Yeah, yeah, sure. This guy was a rags to riches story or whatever. But they also had to train in the gym, you know, every day for whatever. There is no montage. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's like Rocky when you're like, yeah, but you know what he's been doing all this time, right? Has been boxing. Yeah. Like, people seem to forget that. 100%. Okay, so um, he does that. He plays. He His uh, mom says tells Joe Montana, hey, your son knows how to play chess. And he's like, hey, let's play a game. And you can tell Josh is like a little trepidatious about it. And I think they were maybe going to go look at cars because he keeps mentioning, hey, let's go to the dealership. And he says, let's play a game first. They they play a game and he loses. And for whatever inexplicable reason, Joe Montana is like distraught. He's like, ah, I can't believe uh, I can't believe the first day of playing chess, I beat my kid. I tried to let him win. And his mom retorts, he let you win. He doesn't want to beat his dad. Again, another transplant. This this does really happen in real life, but it's later. After he gets really good, his dad starts noticing that his son isn't playing attention during their chess games and almost getting annoyed as like a sports parent going like, why aren't you focusing? Why aren't you paying attention? And his mom does have to break it. You're his dad. He wants you to be a dad. He doesn't want you to be a competitor, but that is a running theme in the movie. He doesn't want to kill you. Not yet. He doesn't want to embarrass you, you know, like no, that. That's a different movie. Yeah. So anyway, um, then they play this long drag out match that seems to take hours. Josh is talking on the phone with friends, goes up and takes a bath, beats his dad blindfold, namely saying he knows what move is going to happen. And his dad's like, wow, my kid's amazing and go, knows he has to, to do something with this. And he tries to go to a, he takes him to a chess club. Another aspect of this movie that I didn't like, but I kind of get why they did it is Fred Waitzkin is, is like shown as like a bumbling fool that doesn't understand chess, where he is a sports writer. And in the 1970s, Bobby Fischer, for a brief period of time, put chess on the window as a quote unquote sport. So like everybody, they don't, I don't think they play him as bumbling as you're, as you're saying it. He's like, look, I'm not an expert in chess, but I know that this kid's got it. Well, like, like later as an example, when they go to a tournament and other dads, like what's his rating? And he's like, oh, I don't know this. And like, that would be like someone not knowing very basic parlance at a baseball game. So they do dumb down how, because Fred, Fred Waitzkin did get interested in chess, did study it. And then was just like, he basically says at one point he was playing an expert and was getting destroyed and was really distraught. And then he beats the expert. And he doesn't know why. And he has to ask other people to explain other people to explain why he won. And he did, and then he sees, and he's like, "Oh, I wouldn't have seen that." And he's like, "Oh, chess isn't for me," and puts it down. That's his backstory on chess. But anyway, so his dad's like, "Oh, this is something. I've really got to take him to, you know, somewhere to get trained." And he takes him to the Manhattan Chess Club, run by Bruce Pandolfini, played by Ben Kingsley. And then we also, as you noted, for IMDb droppage, there's an amazing game where Josh plays Tony Shalhoub. Which is what convinces Bruce to take him on because he's saying, hey, he's probably too young to train. Again, another tropey thing, because in real life, Bruce actually saw Josh playing in the park 
like at Washington Square and told his parents, hey, you should probably get trained. So that's the real world story. But, you know, you got to flip it. You've got to have the uneager mentor who's like, I'm, you know, the Yoda. I'm not going to take him on. He's too young to train, whatever. Then he does something very important that remains true and is very interesting, where he takes Fred Waitskin to a big chess tournament. And he points out that the chess tournament has some of the top names in the country there. And it's in a dingy location, badly lit. It's a who's who of, of competitive losers. Basically. And it, it, well, and I mean, what's what's interesting in, in reality, like there is a guy there named Roman Zinzi Hasvidis, who was a top 10 player who actually was like a second, like a corner man for a world champion, an amazing guy. And then after his chess career ended, he turned into a grifter. And so he would actually like go from city to city, including New York, get a bunch of people to like a bunch of chess people to give him money to invest in like a chess project. And they would just hop down. But yeah, to that point, all of these, these who's who the people, they are legit named and they are played by their real people like Joel Benjamin, fun backstory on him, Jeff. I saw him at the, it was in Boston. I saw him at the 2000 US Open. I got to go there as a graduation present. And then that was kind of where my chess playing when I was younger ended. Cause I was like, yeah, got other stuff to do. Went to college, shocker, other stuff got more interesting. Joel Benjamin wins that tournament. I ran into him and got him to sign my board. I can't find it, which bugs me because I really would like to find that. Uh, and I'm talking back and forth. This is fucking chess people, Jeff. So I'm even going to turn. Yeah. And so I'm, you know, I got him to sign my board. I'm talking to him, being affable. And I'm like, good luck. I think you got a great chance to win it. And he just looks back at me and deadpan goes, well, I am in first. Because, you know, it's sequential and then like walks up. And I was like, fine, motherfucker. I hope you lose. Like, it's like yeah, you got yeah, a you fan. Know what? You go straight to hell. Yeah. Yeah. I got, you got a fan coming up to you, like being nice. And then you, you and, and there, there is definitely something to the nerd stigma of, you know, being standoffish. They really not do being push good that at, in this too. And that was, that was Bobby Fisher. Bobby Fisher, like they were like, you could be the face of chess and lead us into a golden era of chess. And he's like, I'm going to be anti Semitic instead. And that's why there's a love hate relationship in the chess community with Bobby Fisher. Go listen to the Behind the Bastards episode if you did. The Hulk Hogan of, uh, not, not, I mean, ish, but I mean, like you, you know, Hulk Hogan, 80s, 90s stuck around. It's, I mean, of course, and not he much of a like, recluse either, that Hulk Hogan. Yeah. yeah. So, so Bobby Fischer, not, not really the Hulk. Yeah. That, that metaphor doesn't land, Jeff. Sorry to all of the Fair enough. wrestling chess fans here. A divisive, a divisive talent. Yes. But divisive, like in maybe a, like, the ultimate warrior would be the better. Ultimate warrior. That's Bobby the Fischer's ultimate warrior is yeah. perfect. You did it, Jeff. And we're going to go through the top 10 at the end of the show. Top 10 chess players in the world. You're going to have to equate them to wrestlers. Hope you did your homework. All right. So Josh, Do Josh continues. Josh continues juggling playing in the park with the heart, as you mentioned, Lawrence Fishburne, who's giving him advice, kind of like tactic, you know, like how to kind of play psychological, which is important. It's about how to play people. Yes. Not how to play the board. Like and to Jeff's point about has, and yeah. to Jeff's point about this movie not being subtle, at one point Lawrence Fishburne says to Josh, "You're you, you're play, you got you're playing the board, not the man. You got to play the man." So, and the real life Josh Waits can equates a lot of this to a lot of the psychology and how to learn and how to deal with that. It even expanded to later plays because he talks a lot of like as a fighter, when you get punched in the head, you have to know how to react and deal with that and psychologically keep coming back. So a lot of ironically, a lot of the lessons he learned from chess did apply to fighting. Um, but the should your kid go and become a professional chess player, the movie leaves it on like a we don't know note and real world is like 100% no. So of <laughs> course, that. so um, Bruce Pandolfini also gets hired as a coach for Josh. What did you think of the first scene where he shows up and just like, I think this was done well and it's explained more in the book. When Ben Kingsley shows up to tutor Josh, he like shows up and he like 
just goes up and plays other games and is very affable with him. And they're like playing Clue at the end. And when it gets over, the dad's like, so what'd you do for chess? He's like, oh, we didn't get to it. The key point is Bruce realizing I need to form a relationship and a bond with this kid for him to trust me. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the Bruce Pandolfini storyline from the book gets really cut short in the movie. And so some of those don't play well, but did, did you feel that scene played where he like comes to tutor Josh and the first day doesn't tutor him at all? Yeah, no, like that, that, that was good. That was a good little, good little bit. It reminds me of the scene in Google Hunting where they sit in the therapy and they say nothing the whole time. It's like this, but it's different. Obviously I'm equating to it now and realizing as I'm saying, no, that, it works that because the, the logic is the same. It's going, the first lesson is not about making progress in what we're, I'm here for tutoring on. If you want to argue that Robin Williams is a psychology tutor, that doesn't land. But the first day is not about that. It's not making progress day. The first day is about me setting the footholds of our relationship and Bruce Pandolfini realizing I can't come in and just be barking orders at him. He has to trust me. That is that. And that is it's a child. That it's up. not. Yeah. And it's also somebody whose parents brought them, not the, the kid didn't bring himself. So like, that's the other thing he he really has to understand as well. So stuff starts going well. Josh is learning from Bruce Pandolfini. Well, you know, he's getting impressed, giving him master class points. Learning in the park, there's definitely some, you know, we're starting to see some friction that'll come up later. And then Josh goes to play in a chess tournament. Uh, and, you know, Bruce is starting to say, hey, I don't know about that. Real world, world Bruce Pandolfini didn't really like competition. And especially in young kids had an issue with it about how much focus is put on winning. So that is very true. Josh goes there. We see that they're very fish out of water again. Fred Waitskin going, uh, I don't know his rating, of uh, 15. Uh, he does meet Morgan, who is a real-world counterpart. Who's on Morgan's dad? Again, another who's who's name on IMDb. The other dad, like, I'm sorry, the other the other famous dad Joe Montaigne talks to does not narrow it down in this movie, so I'm going to drop that yeah. and move on. We do have a great scene where Josh is playing another Josh. This happened in real world, too. All of the parents get kicked out because they're being overbearing. This theme shows up in the book. You'd be shocked to hear this, Jeff. When young kids compete, Adults get way too invested and oh, don't listen. I had to remind a lot of parents when I was a soccer coach. I said, I will not go to your house and tell your children how to clean their room and do their chores as long as you promise not to come to my field and tell them how to play this game. 100%. So the parents all are, are watching this contentious thing. Josh makes the final game. The parents all get kicked out. We have a game of telephone going on where the kids are explaining what happened. This is like, again, when we talk real world stories that get grafted on, this really did happen. It's true. And we discover another cutaway where we don't know what happens. But Josh Waitskin, our protagonist, has won his first tournament. And then from there, we do get kind of a chess montage where he's just kicking ass, taking names at chess, doing amazing, learning chess balancing Dominic, tricks. Just beating absolute ass just doing amazing at chess. And then as that's kind of coming, like the relationship is starting to strain a little. And I feel, like I said, the nuance of this in the book happens more. But the issue with the prodigy is you have a child that is performing at an adult level at something, but they are still fundamentally a child. And yeah. in the book, Josh Waitzkin was on pace to be the youngest master in the United States. And for what it's worth, that is a meaning, like there are tiers of chess player like Master. Ernie Reyes Jr. Yeah, I, well, I mean, Ernie Reyes Jr. was a freaking... I was watching some sidekick clips. Like, that's not right what he could do as a kid. You're you're not wrong. That Man, was today, ridiculous. today, I bought two tickets to the Surf Ninja's 30th anniversary. Is he, is he going to be there? It's going to be him and Nick Cowan, yeah. If, if you don't, like, 
it doesn't need to get signed or nothing, but please, I, for me, for the fans, please get a get a photo with him if it's if it's possible. That's that's amazing. I mean, you know, if you can, yeah, yeah I, I know, I, I know. I'm like Jeff. You know what you should do? That really cool thing that you clearly would want to do. You should you should do that, Jeff. That is awesome, though. That is that is great to hear. I want to take a picture with him and Nick in each of my arms, and I'm cradling them. Um, if you can make that make that a Patreon tier to see if you can make that happen, ah. I'll, I'll I'll buy a print of that, man. All right, but but yeah, child prodigies. This issue that them being as good as adults at things, but still fundamentally being a kid, and how easy it is as an adult when you're interacting with them to forget they are not an adult; they are a kid. And yeah. so, what winds up happening is Josh is doing really well, and then he ends up losing a chess tournament. Now, in real life, um, that was against our 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 antagonist, who is uh, Jonathan Poe in the thing. In the real evil world, baby, oh, the evil baby is amazing. In real world, and we're going to get a lot to that in a bit, is is uh, Jeff, I'm going to mess it up because it's like, it's Sawyer, I think, but it's it's not Sawyer, it's like S-A, but, but so Jeff, um, actually it is a Jeff, so interesting, is his real world antagonist. He loses the finals to him in real life and, and really gets set back. But this happens here where he he loses. And then of course, a brand new kid who in real life is Jeff in the movie is Jonathan, um, shows up, shows up at Washington Square Park. So Everybody's impressed. The point of this kid, I'm sorry, like it's important to note that this kid exists as a here's what happens when you invest everything in chess and you invest nothing. It, here's what happens when it's, you know, all nature, no nurture. Basically, you create this little terminator that's rude and kind of cruel and it's weird. And and he's brought on like, you know, Josh's parents love him very much. And they're supportive of him and they 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 argue over the importance of this. Meanwhile, this other kid was abandoned by his parents. They were they gave him to the the coach. All he does is play chess. He doesn't even go to school. It's so over the top that this kid is not given heart. And what and, and we'll we'll take this here. What what makes this rough in real world is him and his sister were raised by a dad that was kind of very fuck authority. And he they were homeschooled and he basically let them play chess full time. So that is the case. They also had like weird beliefs on like ownership and stuff. So in real world, they like shaved their heads and didn't have ornate clothes. Uh, so he was very much a weird kid in, in real life. He got so good at chess that it kind of put his dad on the map. And so his dad wanted him to quit chess and he actually like took his kids away and child protective services came and took him and his sister from the dad. It's almost cult-like and you know, like any of the Adam Todd Brown things on like the Sarah Lawrence cult, the same kind of thing. They ran away from child protective services and ran back to the dad. By that point though, the relationship with the dad was fragmented. There, there is some heartbreak. I, I listened to a heartbreaking interview with him about that because like the interview is touching very lightly on basically child abuse. Yeah. And even after the fact, trying to explain that the dad, like the kid being able as an adult. So in real world, the real world, Jeff goes on to be a professional house flipper and poker pro um, and does very well. The real world, Josh Waitzkin goes on to, you know, be uh, a fighter and, you know, consult like the, 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 the real world people in these movies. It's like they actually abandoned chess and got successful at other things, which the movie kind of hints maybe you should do. And the real world mim mimics that. But, you know, basically teetering lightly on this kid had child abuse done and even after the fact not necessarily being able to reconcile it but basically 
in real life, this kid was in a very bad family situation, was an amazing chess talent. And in fact, as we kind of see, the other chess parents are very catty in this movie. They get catty towards each other. This happens in real life as well, where they did not want him to compete because he was homeschooled. They said it wasn't fair for him to complete the scholastic tournaments. So in the real world, basically, Josh Waits, and we'll get to it in a second, is Cobra Kai. He's like the team captain of the amazing trained karate, in this case, chess team. Whereas Jeff is the outsider trying to fight, um, but they they flip it. And part of why it's they- It's weird when you it, keep saying Jeff, because I yeah, like- I know. Because like I don't want to mess up his last name because it's like S-A-W-Y-E-R, but it's not pronounced Sawyer. So I like butcher it. So it's like Sawyer, I think. So Jeff, Jeff S, you know, we won't be confused, but yeah. So, um, you know, like the, the, the funny reality is in the real world, that character has much more nuance, much more balance, much rougher. Um, the movie both can't show that all. And then of course, at the time he was dealing with like child protection taking, it was very obvious that other people at the time, like just didn't knew they weren't supposed to talk about him or allowed to talk about him, which is why his name has changed. He's over the top. It's not the same person. Woof. But okay, so so he definitely, sh he shows up. Everybody is kind of confused as to what's going on. There is an amazing scene uh, with uh, Joe Montaigne where he goes to a parent-teacher conference and the teacher's like, uh, yeah, it seems like your kid's struggling in school because you take him out of school and you're claiming you're doing it for this chest, which is great, and you're trying to argue he's getting culture by going to all these other places, but all he talks about is chess in the hotel rooms a teacher in this situation should rightfully be worried to be like, your kid's relationships in school are struggling. He is struggling with his coursework. And yeah. when I ask him what's going on, he says, my dad takes me to play in chess tournaments and I can't even tell you about the cities I'm in, what's going on. And Joe has just an amazing, Boy, it's one of the greatest scenes. Minds, yeah. It's awesome. That's why he needs to belong in this. Yeah, uh, it, it's very good. He's like, we're putting you in a private school. And the kid's like, Damn it. Yeah, the right. thing is, this, this 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 arc was never quite resolved. In it my sure opinion. isn't. They don't really address that. They just get back to the chess. Well, because because what happens is, yeah, after that, he basically says, well, you should be in a chess academy, which for what it's worth, if your kid is going to be focusing on chess, that is the right spot. That was the right decision. And, ba and as I noted, this is very Cobra Kai. This is the best team in the Valley. Dalton is like one of the top chess schools in Josh's young career. Like they won nationals like nine times. Like the other kid, Morgan, who is in the movie, he is a really top player who like they go on to be like some of the top juniors. Mm -hmm. So, of course, you have to leave all of that out to basically just go, OK, we've decided to focus on chess. We're putting him here. The way the movie deals with it is the mom says it's a bad decision. And Vinny um, is, you know, Lawrence Fishburne is going like, well, what's going on? Should you be moving schools? Are you happy with this? How's it going on? The heart is very much focusing uh, and then at this point, Josh starts struggling and starts losing in tournaments and his dad, he's his, not really struggling. He's throwing tournaments, right? Like well, that's, that's, clear that's he's throwing the tournaments. That's the implication. Like, cause yeah, the, the, I mean, it's he, not even implied. They say it out loud. Okay, well, at one point he tells his dad, maybe I shouldn't be the best. The, the pressure is too much. I don't know if I can deal with it. And his dad's like, you're fine. And so in the first round of the next tournament, like the game's over quick, his dad's, you know, smugly, oh, I hate this part. And the other kid win and it's going, what's going on. And then Josh, to your point, even pushes back on his dad and is like, I lost and you're standing far away from me and yelling at me. What's going on here? Um, he ends up getting in a fight. I, I might be skipping ahead, but it, this is a weird scene that, again, is not resolved. There is a scene with Bruce Pandolfini where Josh isn't paying attention. And Josh is like, 
how many master class points do I get? Because early on, he basically says, every time you solve a puzzle, I give you these points. And if you do great, you get a master class certificate. Very school teachery thing. And he treats it with a lot of reverence and respect and stuff. And Josh is like, I want this. So he's like, when do I get this? You know, when do I get the certificate? And he's like, I don't know. He's like, how many points do I get for writing my name? Classic kid stuff. And Bruce just loses it and is just like, it's a photocopy. It doesn't mean anything. Paper. Doesn't and he matter. starts slamming pieces of paper on the table saying, you want one? And the mom's just like, get the hell like, away get, from yeah, my kid. get the kid. fuck out of my house. Correct response. And again, the problem is in real life, that relationship kind of started fracturing and they needed to like come back and slowly reconcile and come back. In the movie, though, they show the breakage and beyond Bruce showing up at the end of the movie, I argue don't ever really address that Josh has been put in a private school that his mom and heart teacher say is a bad idea. And that his coach, like, that was like, that's the funny thing. I, I mean, I guess sports coaches do this. So like Bobby Knight. So maybe in real world, people put up with that shit. But like, to me, that would be a break. It's like that coach would never be well, allowed back it, in my house. It's also the difference between Bobby. Bobby Knight ain't coaching seven-year-olds. You know, like teenagers, like 19-year-olds, they can handle it a little bit more. And still like, unacceptable, just so we're clear for my take on the show. Mean, I, sure, I sure. But like sometimes the motivation to succeed for yeah. certain people at a certain level is what it is. But this is the reminder that Ben Kingsley is like, you know, dangling a carrot in front of a child. And when the child acts like a child, he's like, it doesn't fucking matter. And it's like, yeah. but you said it does. And this you got and it, it's the reminder. And Joan Allen rightfully comes in and says, this is a child. Get out of here. Um, and then, yeah, they have that, like, it's a real, like, out of nowhere reconciliation where he bumps into the game. We're going to this tournament. We sure could use you to come. To yeah. Well, and then, and then also, um, you know, Josh's parents have this big old fight where he's, she's like, how many kids worry about losing their dad's love when they don't compete at the top level? And he like responds, all of them. And yeah. then I don't think like, they a really writer. Like they don't really reconcile that ever. It's just like, it's like, oh, so his parents are fighting. His coach treated him like crap and he's in a school he hates. Um, but we're going to stop focusing on all that and go to the him showing down with evil kid. The, they, the, and they go to this juniors tournament. And like, uh, well, well the, the, the one important reconciliation before that is then, of course, classic sports movie. He's been barred from playing at the park with mm -hmm. um, his dad even like insults him in the parent teacher conference. He says he's like a junkie. Um, the real world one was an alcoholic and like disappeared. It's it's a real bummer. Also named Jeff. There are too many Jeffs in the Josh Waitzkin story, Jeff. Apologies. Yeah, and about we all that. disappear. Yeah. Yeah. So like the real world, he did have like a, a kind of loving mentor that had, you know, substance abuse problems on the side um, that was really key in coaching him. But, you know, you realize like I you can play with him at the park, but he's not coming to our house kind of issues. So he's been barred from going to the park. He, You know, we have this weird scene. Where Ben Kingsley is like, I'm going to train you to be Fisher. You're going to hate everybody, and that's what you need to do to win. Yeah, that competition is like if you want to, if you want to survive, which is similar in boxing. Like you have to be willing to try to kill someone to win, and yeah. like you have to like you have to hurt somebody and then continue hurting them until someone stops you, and you have to have a certain mentality to succeed at that certain level. All of my wins were like one punch knockout wins. They were like you hit somebody so desperately hard that they stopped the fight every loss was just i didn't chase or i got punched well well to the actually one of the top players in the world magnus carlson that's where it gets interesting is like he fights for every inch at the end that exact point is like there are points in games as an amateur that like i'll play online at like chess.com where like you're just like game's over 
cut it out. And a lot of people are just like, you resign. That actually showed up in the Queen's Gambit, great show. You know, early on in her chess career, he teaches her. He's just like, no, you resign here. You, you don't make the, the good old sportsmanship of the game. But the reality is actually to be the top level. You don't respect the sportsmanship. You fight for every inch. But that killer, that killer. Is, my question in a friendly game of the resignation is if you're playing a multi-game thing, like, do you not want to show your, your style of play? So you're like, I got to leave so you don't see how I play this continuously. Like, no, you're talking about, it's just, it's just like, it's, it's like a baseball, like don't flip the bat thing. It's like, if you're losing, you're supposed to resign or if it's drawn, like a lot of players will just draw the game. And then like Magnus Carlson is an example and other top players are like, no, I'm going to make you prove it. And then like, if you slip for a second, boom, they got you. So that's actually how, what the end of this movie and real life, although there is a little bit of discrepancy there. So he goes back to the park to, you know, is allowed to play at the park again and rediscovers his love of the game. Uh, there's weirdness in that scene where, again, it's a good scene. The dialogue doesn't match up what we're seeing. Because like three moves in, he's like, what are you playing? And you can raise your hand and you're like, it's three moves in the game. They're not playing anything. So like, yeah, yeah I, I, the, the way, the, the wrestling comparison I had in the notes says, Jeff, is it's like not wrestling stiff because the dialogue is correct to the scene and even the chess moves they're playing is correct to the scene. But they don't quite line up, so it's like you don't see the you you know you clearly see the punch missing the face by a mile away in that scene. But great sound, you know, one of my favorite songs in the movie. Josh rediscovers his love of chess. He shows up at nationals, reconciles with Ben Kingsley. Lawrence Fishburne is there for some reason too. The whole gang's there. What I could buy is, in theory, if nationals was taking place in New York, it would make sense that you know it's just a it's a cab ride for all of them. It's not a flight. And New York's a big enough chess scene. Yeah, the also uh, the aspect of the parents being thankful for him to like reinvigorate the child and being like, you know what, you're a good dude. Like, yeah, that's not it's not a plot hole or even a thing. You know, their East Coast Nationals was probably on the East Coast more than fine. But they they, they all show up. You know, Ben Kingsley has a slight reconciliation scene where he does give him a master class certificate. Says Frame, he's super, yeah, a nice colorful one too. It's not as frame, the original. Yeah. It's the original. The other kids are like, where's my master class certificate? This is the 80s, man. You had to use Xerox machines. He's like, I gave the original away. You have to get a copy of a copy. Sorry, they're all going to be terrible. You as a teacher probably appreciated that too if you like lost the main one and had to do funny that. If it was risographed and it was like that purple. What's risographed? I don't know what this is. Risographing was what um, they used to use for Xerox machines if you didn't want to pay for like a very expensive machine. A risograph was essentially a way of... Um, oh, like the turn and thing? Fa- and it famously had like the ink would come out like purple. So huh. like if you were a kid, if you remember when you were a kid filling out like worksheets, everyone's like maybe they were purple. That was because they were risographed. I do not remember it, but that could just be I'm getting old and losing my memory. So everybody reconciles. They go to nationals. Things are running smoothly. But of course, Josh runs into Evil Jeff. You got to have Evil Jeffs, although he's Evil John in this one. Um, And they're playing. And then immediately it looks like Josh is playing foolishly and hangs a queen. And what's going on? He's not playing the right way. But Lawrence Fishburne knows he is. It's like, take the risk. I want to go back because during the, when he's talking about the, when they have that like last lesson with Larry Fishburne in there and he's like, life is about risk. And if you play it safe, you're never going to achieve the dreams that you want. And that's the moral of the whole movie is that. So when he makes the decision to hang his queen out there, what he's doing is he's saying, I'm going to take, take the risks 
I'm going to live my life not in a safe way, but in a way that's going to, you know, hopefully pay off in the long run. And if it doesn't pay off, it's not the end of the world. Yeah. Like the romantic comedy, take the leap of faith. Yeah. Does that looks like he's lost, but then Lawrence Fishburne says he's setting him up. I taught him that. Boom. He comes back. He he does a little callback. He does take back the queen and says trick or treat. Then they have a, a real game. You know, let's play some cards from rounders. Another uh, Matt Damon flick, that kind of scene, right? Where he like gets, gets his tell. Same, same thing. We, I should have done more of that. I should have had more Matt Damon references ready to go. Yeah, could have done there's more a Good lot Will of hunting. rounders in this. Yeah. I could have done rounders. Good. It's too late. We don't have time to re-record it. Jeff is what it is. Um, they make it to the end of the game. And then Josh Waitskin, he's just like Ben Kingsley realizes he's got a win on hand. And he's like, it's super hard. And there's a callback to another weird first scene. I completely forgot to mention this one. Earlier in their learning, he gives him a hard puzzle. And he's like, don't move until you see it. This is a, a mantra that's repeated and reused in the movie. He says, don't move until you see it. And he says, I can't see it. And he goes, I'll make it easier for you. And just in a weird way, smashes all the chess pieces off the board. Clears the board, yeah. Clears the board and says, there you go. And he stares at the board and sees it. And so again, same thing. He's staring, watching the game, says, don't move until you see it. We do have a callback where he's like looking at the board and then like they have like a psychic connection because Josh looks away from the board as if the board has been cleared. He sees it and boom, we know he's going for a win, but he decides to show Murphy. Murphy decides Murphy. to show Murphy. Murphy, Murphy, a famous Murphy. I could have said Murphy. Murphy is a famous. And then Murphy, I think, is the name of a chess opening. But he decides to show mercy and offer a draw. Of course, evil kid is like, get the hell out of here. Like play. Um, yeah, none, none of this game holds up to how a normal game would have been played, even at that level. They play, and then the cool trick at the end is it looks like a drawn position at the end, but despite the fact that the other kid, the uh, Jonathan John Poe queens first, Josh queens, forks the king, he wins, game over. Can we point out how, not, not only how evil that kid is portrayed, how mean everybody else is. So the game's over. Of course, everybody's been barred from the room. I guess this does happen occasionally to prevent cheating because it's the top level. There should have been a referee there. I would have assumed a teacher, but I understand cinematically why they didn't want to do that. All the kids rush in to congratulate Josh. Other kids walking away. To, the other kids just run by him. No, no respect at all. Josh wins. Good, good job. And then he's like, I tried to help the evil kid, but he was just too evil, mom. And mom is like, I know, son, you're not evil. You're not he's evil. evil. He's evil. And, then and he'll the always movie, be evil. He goes, so, you're not wrong. They go so over the top with that kid who does play it amazingly well. I, I Even to the point, I know you kind of grade on a curve sometimes with child actors, but I, I think the child actors did an amazing job in this movie, the ones with major parts, which is pretty good. And then the movie ends with Josh talking to his friend and be, basically kind of showing that he's grown up a little because he's saying, I was a much weaker player when I was your age. And it seems like he's learned and the parents watch on lovingly. And the mom's like, so, so we're going to talk about that fight. We're going to talk about him being in a school he doesn't like. We're going to talk about the fact that we really have to find a new chess coach. Like, no, we're going to give an end, like little placard that says Bobby Fisher came back and defended his title in 92. Bobby Fisher, he played Spassky, right? Was yes, it? in 72 and in 92. And here's another wrestling. Good for me for that. Yeah. Do you want to know how I remember that name? Because the placard was in the movie you just watched? No. Saved by the bell. Oh, yeah. That's, on the, that's on a the much chess better... episode where he goes, I make Spasky Bishop look. He's like, how do you and know then... Spasky Bishop look? He is my uncle. That's 
that's an amazing. And that episode's funny because we also discover in that episode of Saved by the Bell that Zach Morris is a chess prodigy. That then, like, that just comes out of nowhere. And nobody Wait, knows. Zach is going. a chess prodigy. No, he's so not. Okay, okay, full full story. Screech is supposed to play Boris Faskey's nephew at chess. Zach, of course, gets everybody to bet on the game. But then the other team, I forget what they were called. Valley. Like the, Valley, valley which is by the way now that i live in the valley and i know the people that live by the bay bayside should not have been the heroes but that's it's ve yeah very much just like this movie the real Dalton class war real class yeah. war there uh the, the rich kids get the you know that that's basically like living in the pacific palisades is where they were but regardless um, um oh I, i'm gonna finish so they, they steal screech's lucky, lucky beret, beret. Violet Vicker. So, so he agrees to he 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 doesn't know what to do. He thinks he's going to lose because he's unlucky. They kidnap Spassky's nephew. Zach starts playing as him and is beating Screech, and then resigns. Oh, he's yeah, not he's beating. beating him. He's be, he's beating. No, he's him. not. He does a checkers move. He does a he does a checkers multi jump and then just he puts going. He's too good. He's too good. You don't want to anyway, go up against I, me. I thought he okay. No, well, well, he's okay. He, he does he does a checker multi-jump and screech goes wow you're good because he didn't know he could even do that like that's the bit the bit all is right. that he's not playing chess he's playing checkers all right and then I just got schooled on, on saved good. by the bell but then that, i will know you you know more about chess but i know more about saved by the bell which is embarrassing because i've watched a fair amount of saved by the bell but anyway um so with the the end of the movie they're talking about um fisher returning and another wrestling metaphor i'm going to give to you jeff is uh do you remember the movie the wrestler uh, with Mickey, Rourke. yeah, with Darren Aronofsky's, yeah. and how at the very end we basically have a former. He would pretty, he's pretty much you know Hulk Hogan, Ultimate Warrior mixed into one, and he like has one last fight against like essentially the Iron Sheik, but you know instead of playing in Madison Square Gardens, they you know basically agree to pay a, a well a well paying show. Like that's the point. Is he's like if we get back together, we can get a good sideshow going. Very much like, you know, um, Dark Side of the Ring, the movie, you know, seeing that part of like when you're when you're a step below, you can make thousands of dollars to recreate your glory days. That was really what the Fisher Spassky rematch in 92 was. And the movie there's has a, a lot. There's a 2020 article about it. Wasn't there like there's about a, the, uh, there was a 2020 about. It was a dateline up where they interviewed Bobby Fisher about it, and I think it was in. It was in 92 or it was in 72. I forget. I was what are you talking about? Inter uh, interviewing what though? What do you what, about what was Bobby the Fisher? They, they they said it took him six months for them to even get Bobby Fisher to agree to do the interview. Oh, yeah. Well, he well, that well, that's the thing. So the movie's got all these interstitials talking about him and they're really portraying like he's this recluse. He makes these bold moves like disappearing and all this. Again, listen to the behind the bastard of the real story. The real story about Bobby Fischer, and this is always the elephant in the room in chess with this movie included, is he is the biggest name in chess. He is a draw. But he has lots of issues. Now, you, you can argue some mental health, but there are things unrelated to that. Hugely anti-Semitic, huge problem with other things. And it's kind of like you don't even know if he's going to show, right? You have no guarantee. Very wrestling, right? You don't know if he's going to uh, what, I forget the Hardy brother that did it, but the one against Sting, one of the most infamous one where he just Very Ultimate up. Warrior. Ultimate Warrior got fired for doing no shows. For like when he just show up and just be completely drunk or wasted or whatever. No, he would just would not show up to like house shows and stuff. Well, there was some of that. I mean, I also and well, it's and funny. He tried, also, he tried ripping. He tried shaking down McMahon for like two hundred and fifty. Well, but, but the, interesting. The 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 argument people make about Ultimate Warrior, they were thinking about Fisher because the argument people would have about Ultimate Warrior would be like. Oh, he'd wait before a really important show and be like, I'm not going to show unless you give me more money. 
And that was the final straw, right? Eventually, McMahon, did I pay him for like a SummerSlam or a WrestleMania? He showed up, he paid him, and then he fired him the next Then day. after he got out of like, get it, get out of here. And you're fired, yeah. And people argued Fisher was trying the same tactics, right? Argue he was just a jerk and a horrible person, where they were like, <laughs> oh, he's using these tactics. He's like, he's being reclusive, and we don't know if he's studying or training. The book goes in, it's like, they're like, I think he's trained. The movie says, I think he's training and getting stronger. The book's like, oh, he has devoted the passion he had for chess into being anti-Semitic. Like, true story. He would, yeah. like, pour over books on that. But that's the elephant in the room, right? You're making a movie called Searching for Bobby Fischer. It's released, right? It probably it might have even gotten greenlit with Bobby Fischer coming back. So in the movie, you can't say Bobby Fischer is a terrible person, despite the fact that it was yeah, no. a well-known thing by everybody, including it's like in, the author of this book has a full chapter devoted to like how problematic of a character Bobby Fischer was. But of course, they lift all of the nice things he says about Bobby Fischer, about like his genius of play. Um, and I think that's very well done. It's just problematic yeah. after the fact a very talented monster as is often the case if we're being 100 percent honest like talent can often breed really terrible misbehavior well and i mean they, he, he mentions that in the book where it's like when you've got someone who's so and that's the that's another consternation with child prodigies which is touched on a little when you're talking about john poe his 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 the the evil the evil baby i like is a much better name it's like if all that is at all that happens if you don't have the loving environment and people pushing back and asking about your decisions if all you get is you're allowed to devote yourself wholly to a subject that you're already amazing at so you become super amazing right like you were already amazing you were better than your peers Thank you're allowed you. to do it full time well that, that is true of you too jeff so jeff's in general amazing better than their peers but then if you're allowed to train amazingly hard you become even better and then now it's like you get the feedback loop of like not wanting to upset them not wanting to tell them they're wrong and, you know, you can get contemptible. And this is a thing that happens with like sports athletes that are, you know, they're the best in grade school and in middle school and in high school and in college. And then they get to the NBA and they're out in two years. That happens. Well, that's that that is the movie, Jeff. There there's other interesting stuff to talk. But first off, do you, do you regret me having it, it's not I, I've made you watch some horrific stuff for this show, Jeff. No, this was good. This was a good film. Like it, it was not it was not a bad movie. It was good. It's a little over the top, but you kind of have to be a little over the top if you're doing a movie about the, you know, psychoanalytical development of a child playing chess. Like, you you know, you can't just, it can't be just a simple slice of life with no conflict. That's not how that works. Um, I liked it. I, I, some things are a bit on the nose. You know, the metaphors are not very well hidden. You know, it's they literally say the metaphors out loud like it's very it's very funny it's it's and granted it's stuff that kind of happened like oh the the head versus the heart aspect of it and it's like well the heart is the homeless man in the park who's playing chess because he loves it and it's a thing and then the other the head is a guy who has talent but he's just so over it and i don't know like that part that stuff's really funny but it's good like it is really good. It's unfortunate that Bobby Fisher is in the title of this movie, because you know, yikes. Well, I, that, uh, an interesting comparable I bring up a lot is um, boxing with uh, Tommy Dreamer um, or Tommy the Duke Morrison. He plays Tommy Dreamer in Rocky Four. Amazing thirty so for thirty. On Tommy that. Dreamer was or a not Tommy Dreamer who was what? famous in ECW primarily. Uh, You're thinking of Tommy Gunn is the Tommy character uh, played by Tommy Morrison. Uh, who became an HIV AIDS denier and then died of a mystery ailment that many people would refer to as HIV becoming AIDS. 
and that is an amazing 30 for 30. Look at, look at that's wrestling, that's boxing, that's everything, Jeff. You got all the references. There's an amazing 30 for 30 on it. But there is a point where this guy has an entourage around him. Don King has signed him to like a three fight deal for at the time, I think like eight to 50 million. Tommy there. Morrison had the hardest left hook in all of boxing. And that's, that's how he won. He did beat George Foreman. He beat up an old guy, right? Like hit him with his left. Yeah, that left hook is devastating. Like it, it was unbelievable. Yeah. So he beat the 43-year-old George Foreman. Yep. There's this great picture of him landing a shot on George Foreman. It's just a halo of sweat coming off George. That's awesome. But in, in, the, in the 30 for 30 about him, he's this great you know, person with a bunch of known off-the-court issues. And like he has this entourage around him that's like, I don't know if, if no, so far out of my way to call him a great person anyway. A great boxer. Yep. I didn't mean to, if I said great person, editor me is allowed to take that off the table, Jeff. No, I leave it, leave it. <laughs> Dre, lover of Tommy. Tom. I was thinking, I was thinking Tommy Dreamer, Jeff. Tommy, probably also not a good, I don't know. Yeah, I was like, Tommy I don't Dreamer know about person? No, Tommy Dreamer, I've heard. Is he seems good. good. Uh, yeah. He seems good. We hope, we here at the show hope Tommy Dreamer is good. We do not endorse Tommy the Duke Morrison. Man, an um, ECW season would be interesting, huh? <laughs> I am a huge Foley fan. Anyway, um, sorry. And I was making some ref. It's, ah, God. Okay. It's okay. We're allowed Editor to go me. on on gentle tangents. It's and, okay. okay. We're but but I was going to say, um, but he has this entourage around him. He's got this big fight that uh, Don King has set up. And they're all just like, if you just make it to this damn fight, we're all rich. And of course, he gets like drunk the night before a big fight, gets knocked out, and then fails a a drug test that was for AIDS, basically. He's like, he knew. So like, it's, it's this group of people that are all, have all tied their success to him. They have invested years and years of effort to this guy. And they know, all of them know all the issues he has, all the problems he have. His mother in the, in the 30 for 30 even thinks she knew, like it, it, it is insinuated she knew he had AIDS and but, doesn't want to like give it away. Because I think this, this is after his death or very close to when he died. But it makes sense, right? All of these people have so much sunk cost in this person they don't want to give up. And that happens in athletics a lot. And even Bobby Fischer, right? Everybody knows he's terrible, but they know he's a draw. And I, I, it was an interesting point about this movie because I, I did spend a lot of time talking real world. And I think the two people that took the biggest beating in this movie are real world, you know, evil Jeff, although in real world, good. So Jeff Sawyer, who was an amazing kid who had a really, like, he's the underdog. He had a horrible childhood. He was an amazing chess talent, could have been a top player that was robbed basically because his dad was a horrible person. Um, and Bruce Pandolfini comes off looking a lot more horrible. Both of them in interviews are like, I think this movie is good for the game of chess. As in, they recognize, it's, it's very wrestling. They recognize. They're keeping kayfabe, yeah. Yeah, if you want this to succeed, we need people to be interested and invested in it. And so it is good. And you talked, we briefly talked, uh, you made a reference to Hans Niemann, who is a chess player that is a cheater, like with, without doubt, was a chess cheater. And it was a joke story because what somebody was inferring is, it isn't, Jeff, it is incredibly easy to cheat at chess. Um, it's really weird. This might land as a boxing com comparison. In boxing, if you knew your hit was going to land, am I wrong? And like, I'm saying, like, you know, you're, you're watching, you're seeing, and you're going to throw a hit. And a lot of times they're going to dodge. A lot of times they're going to block. They might counter hit. If you knew for a guaranteed fact at any point when you were boxing that a guaranteed hit, how good of a boxer could you be with just that upgrade? I mean, yeah, obviously, you, if you, if you know, what punch to throw at the right time i'm not even saying what and that's I'm what you're that's what you're searching to do you're you're trying to find that opportunity to know when you're going to land a shot 
And another comparable I've heard is when the uh, Houston Astros were cheating and they had the the banging trash can lids. Oh, yeah. Basically, they were told one of two things. If the banging happened, they knew they could swing. And if the banging didn't happen, they knew not to swing. And those two things are hugely important to basically go, should I swing here or should I wait? In boxing, should I throw a punch now or should I wait? In chess, there are positions where you have like a force win. It happens in the movie. We see it in the movie where he's like, he made a mistake. You've got it, right? If you, t- if, if you go up to Josh, Wait- if you go up to me, if you go up to me, not Josh Waitzkin, and I'm about 1,800 in chess on a good day, which is, which is pretty good. It's uh, just not, not quite you at pinball where you're an A-class player, Jeff. I'm like a B-class player on a good day. Could maybe get up to an A-class if I could fix some things. So that's probably not going to happen. I'm only A-class in my league. I think on the grand scheme of things. I mean, that's actually, you know what? No, I'm going to give myself more credit. I'm, you're amazing. You are I'm amazing. I'm currently pinball. in fourth place in my league. And the last time, the last one ball tournament that I did, which was the last tournament that I did, I did finish on the top of points. I was the first place finisher before the before the playoff part and then i lost yeah you are you are absolutely amazing but so and i'm giving that to you and i'm saying i'm pretty good at chess but not like the level even the level of these kids in this movie and if all you had to do was come up to a game and tap me on a shoulder and just say hey by the way this is a chess puzzle look for it i would be an amazing that's all you need to do to any chess player to make them amazing so cheating is incredibly easy in that regard is that to a grandmaster you don't have to tell them what move to play you don't have to tell them any of that. You can literally tap them on the shoulder and just say, chess puzzle. And that's enough information for them to know that they need to focus on the board. Don't move until you see it and win. And someone made the insinuation it would be so easy that you could do that with anal beats, which of course is the story that took off. Now, what should have happened if we are going for like just world is Hans Niemann should have been barred from chess and gone forever. He is back. He made some frivolous lawsuits. But what everybody in chess recognizes is he is a heel. He is an amazing heel. He is a draw. And the chess commentators are knowing this. Lose, yeah. Well, not just play. And this this happened like CM Punk is doing this right now with all of the behind the scenes stuff in AW, keeping the wrestling metaphor going. Hopefully, Eric Barnes listens to this and likes it. If not, <laughs> I'll at least tag him about it. But what I was gonna say is like Kevin He literally Nash, texted me during this uh recording, by the way. Hey, hey, Eric. Um Kevin Nash was was has a podcast about wrestling and he's talking CM Punk in middle. He breaks Cape and is like keep CM Punk in the news because anytime we put up a video with CM Punk in the title, our views go up. So like, that's the same. Like, that's the problem is like Bobby Fisher is a terrible person, but people realize his name's in the marquee names show up. And to be fair, that's not unique to chess. That is sports. That is wrestling. I think I, I tied all those, those metaphors together. Yeah. Yeah. You always want, you want somebody to hate and heels are that like heels are. And it's like, when you look at Muhammad Ali basically took gorgeous George's whole shtick. Like Mike Tyson was the same way. Mike Tyson knew as a relatively soft-spoken man knew that if he became the villain, he'd make more money. Floyd Mayweather's the same way. Although Floyd Mayweather is kind of a villain in his own right. And Tyson Tyson's had his villainous moments as well as he went to jail for sexual assault. So I'm not saying these are good, wholesome people. What I'm saying is these are people that have things going on well as sports fans I, i'm glad you and i both know this but like it is funny how people like it how childish sports fans, you're like you realize this, this is entertainment as a whole right like yeah. when you when people get upset at coaches and players for saying stupid stuff in conferences i'm like they know what's a bit right they they know what they're doing some people so don't. Th- they don't get it and then also like yeah your, your favorite people they know how to act in front of a camera to be liked because they have sponsorship deals that always amuses me when people are like why won't this athlete say what he feels and i'm like 
oh, this athlete that's worth, you know, it's so astronomical. Yeah, expecting point, expecting an actor or an athlete to like speak to honest like or whatever. Like I understand we have places to stay, but like, do you want them to perform or do you want to know their opinions on war? Like, what what is it that you want? Um, and I know that that's not fair because I don't like the shut up and dribble mentality as well. Like I hate that too. Um, it is just, it's like you do have to draw the line a little bit. Yeah, I, I think it's the, you you don't get to decide what they say. And then anytime you hear an athlete speak, you have to be aware at the number of things that they are juggling and considering. And it's not as straightforward as you think. Yeah. And, you know, sorry to break kayfabe on professional sports. That is one of my, I, I reference this video all the time at Cracked. Um, there's a, an episode on how like professional sports ripped off WWE, how they like embrace the heel, embrace the behind the thing. And I think it is for any sports fan out there, it is really important to view it as professional wrestling and realize that they, there are people that realize there are heels. There are people that realize they are heroes. There are reasons that monsters still get marquee billing. It's all wrestling all the way down, Jeff, including this movie. You, you want to see uh, them? If you have a, a champion, if you have a champion that's a villain, you want to see them lose. It's why when the Yankees are in the World Series, there's higher viewers. Like they're the heel of of baseball and you want to see them get beat same thing like people watched muhammad ali because he was amazing and a lot of people you know were like he's great for the culture and stuff but a lot of people watched because they wanted to see him get shut up by a more humble person and that i mean they do that in this movie because of course um i'll make a one last he's not in it sadly there is no matt damon reference there's a movie called the greatest game ever played i jeff on a Colin show made a mistake on this she once because I said his name is Wamey. His name is Wamet. Most Boston thing ever because it is a French name that is pronounced Wamey. And they're like, no, we we're met. not doing that. It's like, we're pronounced it for Boston. We're doing it this way. So anyway, there's a movie there. And that movie I really love. But what's God, ironic is so it, it's the problem is it's three heels against each other. And you don't like you got like two class hero. You got three class heroes. Wait, that no, are it's. It's not three heels against you. No, no, no. Three. Sorry, I meant to say three baby. It's three baby faces. And it's so rough. It's like, you want them all to win. They're all awesome. But that's, I think, what makes it. It's like why Warrior is so good. Because you have, like, you don't know who's going to win. And you don't know who you want to win at the end. Like, in the greatest game ever played, you want Francis We Met to win. Because that's Shia LaBeouf. And he's very affable. And uh, and this was before, you know, any of the problems that people had with Shia LaBeouf were really came out. But he's incredible in that movie. It's a great film. Um, and then but there's also Harry and then and there's like all these different people that are very, very likable. But obviously you have a, a specific person you want. Warrior is another good example of like two two main characters going up against each other. And you don't know what's going to happen. And I still don't. I still I, I'll, one of these days, Jeff. I, you have I, not I will, seen Warrior. I you you have told me on the show to watch it. Dude, I, you just got to see Warrior, man. I, it's, so it, it's it's better than it has any right being. We we do enjoy. It. So we are we are nearing time, Jeff. Any other? I I do have a, a nice button for this show. But any other comments on the movie? The movie was great. I mean, obviously there are there's polish, uh, there's polish put on it because it's a movie and they got to sell tickets, which they didn't really do. Um, but on top of that, you know, this movie has sort of become lost in the annals of of mainstream history. When you look at like who's in it, 
like I remember when I was like getting ready to watch this, I was like, oh, this is that movie with Jodie Foster. And then I remember, no, that's Little Man Tate. But I blended all of that stuff back together. Like there's not a lot of movies that came out of the 90s as being these like really high standalone watermark films. And this is not one of them. Mm -hmm. But it's also very good. It's sort of like when you see somebody be like, hey, man, did you ever watch uh, With Honors? And you're like, I did Brendan Fraser and Joe Pesci. Right. But and you're like, what? What are you talking about? And then you're like, oh, this is a really good movie. Like that's the 90s have such a forgettable amount of very good movies. And this is that. Like well, my this... wife, my my wife was talking to me about this. And this is just a really weird cultural shift. Is she she just the other day was looking at me and is like, were you ever at home and just like you and the family just watched what was on? Like you literally just flipped and eventually like, yeah, yeah, good enough. And a lot, like I watched with honors, I think it might've been comedy central just cause it had Brendan Fraser in it. And they were like, you know, funny guy, but same thing. But I know I've seen that movie and it was just on and I recognize the guy. This is another one of those movies. And it is funny how that culture is slowly shifting of flipping through and just finding something bad that's on to watch. Cause nothing else is better on versus I can watch anything I want. And if I can't find something I want to watch rewatching the office for the 20th, which is bad. I think that's bad. I actually do not like. I think streaming was a is a failed project uh, experiment. And also, side note, I make my money off of doing something based off of streaming when, when I watch Batman stuff. But as far as how art is, I mean, we're in the middle of a strike for a reason. And, and that main reason has a lot to do with technology and streaming. Uh, so that's a big issue with it. But there, it used to be television was two things. You either settled or it was appointment television. You know, like some shows got popular because they were on after Friends yep, or The Simpsons or something like that. Like, like it was this whole chess game of scheduling television. You knew not to put anything very big on Thursday nights at primetime because it was yeah. must see TV. And now it's just like, oh, I got to make sure I watch the next Star Wars streamer before it's spoiled for me on Twitter. And that's yeah, I'm not even I'm not world. even worried about spoilers. There, there have been a few. I think I, I did do that with like Ted Lasso the last season. I didn't want it to get spoiled, so I watched it ahead of time. Regret that decision. It wasn't bad. Just wasn't it wasn't worth the effort of trying to catch it early. Um, and then uh, other stuff like some of the Star Wars stuff. I'm like, people are spoiling it left and right, and I'm like, I I'm this guy with the light. They're like, I can't believe the lightsaber guy. I'm like, oh, huh. Um, that means. And hey, look at that, huh? So, so, something. I can't, I can't believe the guy with the red lightsaber did the thing. Oh, and I'll forget it by the time I actually get around to watching it. Uh, this was a good way to start this. Happy birthday, Dre, by oh, the thank way. Thank you. Um, this was a good way to start this season with something that you really do desperately love. And I love that. I love that for you. Um, I'm at least glad that unlike like Ewoks, the battle for Endor, check out back episodes of nerd the show. Um, I loved that and I have lots of reasons and I was not alone. I, history is with me. 60 million people watched the first one and some percentage of those watched the second. Cause that's that all that was on well. TV. There was only four stations. If you do not have nostalgia, like I'm there, there's some properties that you and I both have nostalgia for. There's some properties that only one of us has nostalgia for thus far. We've only done mine, but you know, we'll have to start doing some of yours. Yeah. Um, but you what know, you this is about, what... we did the tick. We did star Wars customizable card game. We've done those are, stuff. I'm those are good see we've done nostalgia oh, you mean something stuff bad you like that's, that's good yeah 
we're not like Jeff being like, hey, this this horrible thing I used to like. And I'm like, Jeff, what the heck is we haven't done Alf Christmas special on this network as an example. No, so, I, but I did do one. Uh, I did do it yeah. for Gameplay Employed. I will actually add, by the way, spoiler alert. Um, if you're listening, you know, as of recording this morning, the episode of the Star Wars Minute comes on where I literally talked about our episode of Nerd on Battle for Endor. I um, have not. I, I I saw that you did that, Jeff. And OK, first off, like. Wednesday night is is must see Tom and Jeff watch Batman TV. Jeff, that's not yeah, getting bumped. Right. Yeah, so right. I, I had to see that. So I was behind, and it was a meeting heavy day. So I saw that you did that and like really wanted. But Jeff on the Star Wars minute, and it has a nerd. Oh man, now, now, see that's the that's the way you get the me as a listener, Jeff. You like yeah, apply plug to in, my plug ego. In that up, yeah. But so that's for all for those of you listening. If you're listening upon release, it was last week's um, Star Wars minute. I did five episodes, uh, lots of fun stuff. So. And they're relatively short. They're it's like a twenty to thirty minute show. Oh, that's that's super easy, Jeff. So we'll definitely get into even more plugs in a second. And I'm going to try and do something synergistic. And is also my side. I'm, I'm trying to. What's what's the the backdoor pilot is what it's called, right? Yeah. Um. And we're not going to do the full thing. But here's a point, Jeff. I I bought you something for the show. I appreciate Jeff because I I sent him this. And I said, Hey, Jeff, do me a solid. This is related to the next episode. Don't open it. And then Jeff texts me and is like, Why on earth did you send me? Some Panini, it's 2012 is the year, by the way, Jeff. I did. I looked it up. Panini 2012 Golden Age, yeah. Okay. Now, have you done any additional research? I have a, uh, accidentally, just because I looked it up. God damn it. And no, I, I, and didn't, way, I don't Jeff. know too much. I just know that it was 2012 Golden Cause, Age. Because I also told Jeff, don't research this before the show. Because I... I'll do. I'm. I'm very much a nerd. I didn't. This, I just. I knew that it's 2012. This is a. This is a chess game, Jeff. And this is not even worth the payoff. This is such a dad joke in the making. So, Jeff, can you guess why I might have purchased this box of cards for you? No, but I do know the coincidence being that this brand Panini is also the sweatshirt that I'm wearing in, as of release. I mean, as of recording, uh, my Instagram story. I wore a Panini hoodie last night. Um, when I was playing pinball. Oh, very nice. And ironically, so that, I'm wearing a pinball shirt now. Ironic that Jeff is wearing his hot. Anyway, but okay. So Jeff, that set has a Bobby Fischer card in it. Oh, no. So you could open that set and be searching for Bobby Fischer. Now, Jeff, one, Did one I open one it. here or no? No. So here's the, the request. And you don't have to, you don't have to appease me. I've done this once. If you and Adam Todd Brown get time to to open it on you don't even like sports cards, here's the funny thing, Jeff. If you're opening a pack of 2012 baseball cards, they're historical, but they're baseball cards. Yeah, I was going to say, are these really baseball, though? Yeah, they're baseball. And then they also have like some headlines and stuff. And for whatever reason, Fisher is in there. But Jeff, if you're opening those on an episode of you don't even like sports cards and you're opening baseball cards and searching for a chess player, well, Jeff, you're not even looking for sports cards. So this 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 was not worth the effort probably, but this is my long bit to end this show, Jeff. Man, that this is great. But there's so many like there's movie posters and stuff in here. Like, I could do it on you don't even like sports cards. Um, I kind of want to do this on I must break you though. If you want it, I I will take either. I will take either as long as you you make a joke or reference to you don't even like sports cards. There's like memorabilia stuff on here. I see the I put the box away as soon as I saw what it was. Um, I put the box back and the I, I looked it up just like I looked up what this was um, and it was 2012. That's all I knew. I, I will take the I mean, Je here, let's get into a couple of plugs, but I'll throw one out for you. You are starting to do I Must Break You regularly. You're hoping to do Wednesdays at 2 p.m., which would be awesome if you can get that in some form, even if it's yeah. not weekly. If you're able to do next week, 
That's Cross Synergy for The Nerd Show, which I would gladly take. If you've got other stuff, though, that is fine. But that is one of the plugs. Jeff breaks cards, and I'll let you do the rest of the plugs for amazing stuff you can do. Um, you know, there's lots of shows that I do. If you're listening to this, that means you're at least tangentially aware of Jeff has cool friends as this is under the banner, um, which is a great interview show with my friends. It's a show I believe in very much. Even if you think the person I'm interviewing is not interesting, they are. You're wrong. You're wrong. Give it, it's, give it's it a listen because it's, it's not about the job so much as it is the person. And I find these, I find these people very, very fascinating. I mean, my most recent guest was, was a prodigy in his own right of business and creating a comic book store when he was 22 years old uh that is now massively popular like that's fascinating and i have an apology jeff this was a busy week for me i meant to try and like quickly listen to that show find a clip put it up on your youtube for people to listen it was so <laughs> engrossing jeff i just listened to the whole episode and it was amazing it, it and, is it's, and you're, you're talking yeah. like first comics to look at like holy grails old comic books it is like if if you like jeff as a person and the content he makes, that show is is everything. It was an amazing, yeah. amazing. Kimmy Heeg is, is a very interesting person, and I'm very excited to have him on the show. Um, I also do Tom and Jeff watch Batman on Gamefully Employed, and all of the stuff I do on You Don't Even Like Sports Cards. You know that you heard, or you uh, the You Don't Even Like This Network that you've heard me talk about. You don't even like sports. You don't even like sports cards. You don't even like this show with Adam Todd Brown. I do a, a monthly stand up show the second Friday of every month at Blast from the Past in beautiful Magnolia in Burbank, California. So uh, other than that, just at Hey There Jeffro on Instagram if you want to watch I Must Break You Live as well as YouTube at Hey There Jeffro. Yeah, and you should uh, definitely, yeah, at the moment, you're breaking packs on Instagram. We might get you to a point, I think you're, if you like Jeff and want it more like YouTube Live, if we get you to 500 followers, you can start doing more interactive stuff, which would be cool. So I'm a, I'm, it's, I'm a huge fan of the pack breaking stuff for Jeff. If you want more of that, that's an easy, like, you know, we, we, we plug this all the time, like, subscribe. Seriously, though, subscribing on YouTube and telling people to subscribe on YouTube is probably if we're talking tiers, like if we're, if you're trying to get you from 1500 to 2000 at Chef, Chess, Jeff, getting, yeah, you to five, getting you to 500 followers on YouTube is the next best step for getting a better monetizable yeah. way for pack breaking for you. I talked about this a lot and it make, I, I, I don't want to sound like desperate because that's not what it is. But like when people are like, oh, Patreon, I don't want to pay for podcasts. I was like. Dude, if you think supporting is just paying directly for podcasts, that's not it. Like the amount of effort you can put into just making it like just hitting subscribe or leaving a review for free is huge. So I definitely suggest that if you like somebody, hook them up. Yeah. And like I said, the the easiest, the easiest next steps for you, which is what we, I hope, I really hope I'm hoping not speaking on a turn is, you know, it basically, if your YouTube brand can grow just a little, because it's it's grown very fast. I think had 91 followers at the start of the year. We started poking, putting out back issues of Jeff has cool friends. We started putting out your pack breaking stuff and you're up to almost 300. You've grown really fast. Your followers like it. But that is the easiest signal to both Jeff and the easiest signal to people that could potentially help. And I just want to stress, I know I'm saying this is like a telethon. I'm, I really want to be clear. I'm saying this is a fan. I'm giving Jeff <laughs> cards. I've I've been asking Jeff. I'm like, yo, yo, can I can I guess? And I must break you. I got some cards behind me. Can I guess? So I'm a fan that wants this. So you can view this as a paid advertisement, or you can view this as a super yep. fan being like, let's do this. Yeah, we'll do we'll do something. We'll do uh, we'll figure it out. Um, but uh, thank you all. We will be back next month with more uh, child neglect um, for our October episode, which is going to should we 
say I'm I'm gonna give I'm gonna give my plug and self like my, my self plug. Basically, I'm nerd numbers most places don't worry about that. I'm not basically this is what I'm really proud of, Jeff. And I'm nerd numbers on the social if you ever want to track me down. I am nerd numbers on chess.com if you wanna if you ever want to play. But give me a message that let, lets me know it was related to this show because you know bots and people ask for friendships and I'm like, I, I don't want any of this. Yeah. Next month's show is from my friend Landon, who really loves this show. I've said this, Jeff, like yeah, one of the weirdest Landon, by one of the weirdest byproducts of this show to me is that you, like my friends and family, Daniel Alvarez, my brother was on this show, have liked the show and have even been like, yo, what's, what's the next one on? Can I do this? And Landon came up to me and was just like, yo, can, can you do a show on adventures and babysitting? And I was like, well, if you can find a way to tie it to searching for Bobby Fisher, and then we found it and we've, we've got two cool next episodes. Yeah. So adventures and babysitting suggested by Landon is next month's show. Seconded and by me, by the way. Yeah, you were like, I don't know about this searching for Bobby Fisher. We we made some we made some lineup changes because Jeff is a general manager. You are the Billy Bean of Star Wars CCGM podcast. And you're like, Dre, I'm not gonna I'll, I'll give you searching for Bobby Fisher. That's the the weird pickup I have to do for whatever. I don't want this one. What about this one? And Jeff, Jeff, you have made a season of nerd that I am looking forward to a lot. I'm not gonna tease it ahead of time, but I am looking forward to the season you like. You did a trade of an episode I wanted to do for this season for another one. And I'm like, sold. You are amazing. So oh, yeah. Adventures in Babysitting is next episode. There is another cool season Jeff has already promoted that I'm also very excited about. Shout out to Landon and the Hollow Nickel is the bar that he saw Adventures in Babysitting. And it was such a Jeff story because he said he used to watch that at his grandma's house on the VCR when he was a kid and has a lot of fond, nostalgic memories for Thanks. it. And I was like, I'm like, that's that's Jeff. And then you love it as well. We are looking forward to that. And it holds on the subject of child neglect. If we have Young kids being taken to places they shouldn't be by adults. That's this month's show. Nailed it. Uh, thank you all so much for listening. Uh, we really appreciate you. Like I said, uh, if you can, uh, you know, give a give a review, like, subscribe, everything. Uh, please, please do. Um, we cherish you and adore you. Dre, thanks for doing the show. Thanks so much, Jeff. Enjoyed it so much. And we Bye. will see you next time. Yeah. Thanks for listening to Nerd. If you want to help keep the podcast growing, it's definitely worth your while to head over to patreon.com forward slash Jeff May. And also you'll get bonuses and early access to cool stuff. Cool stuff like videos of Jeff showing off awesome collectibles and doing pack breaking videos. It'd be worth your while to check out Jeff May's YouTube channel. That's youtube.com forward slash at hey there Jeffro. That's spelled J-E-F-F-R-O. And shocker, that is also his Twitter and Instagram account as well. So follow Jeff everywhere. You can find me most places on the internet as at nerd numbers. Also, shout out to Chris Haugen for the outro theme of Pure Magic. Thanks so much, and we'll be back with another nerdy subject soon.